Working remotely, where you are shouldn't dictate what you do. Work from the road by turning your vehicle into a reliable high-speed data Wi-Fi hotspot with AT&T in-car Wi-Fi. On the network that covers more roads than any other carrier, take your work on the road and AT&T will be there to keep you connected. Connect up to 10 devices and stream conference calls, finish up that presentation, or answer last-minute emails. Why wait? Go to att.com slash in-car Wi-Fi today for free trial eligibility. Based on independent third-party data, number of devices varies by manufacturer. Always pay careful attention to the road and don't drive distracted. Wi-Fi hotspot intended for passenger use only when vehicle is in operation. Compatible device and vehicle required. Running a business is no cakewalk, but with SAP Concur Solutions, you can be ready for anything. You can manage travel, expenses, and AP all on one platform that's packed with AI and best practices, and that delivers it all through an easy, clear, I can't believe how simple that is experience. So while not much can be done about that guy who never fails to burn the microwave popcorn and stink up the entire office, with SAP Concur, you can easily handle almost anything else. Take control of your business finances today at concur.com. That's C-O-N-C-U-R dot com. When you think about the future, what kind of technology do you envision? Whatever the future holds, artificial intelligence will undoubtedly be at the heart of it all. Join Graham Class as he hosts Season 2 of Technically Speaking, an Intel podcast, and hear from the minds transforming healthcare, retail, entertainment, personal computing, and more with the help of AI. Tune in every other Tuesday and explore the latest technology that's changing our world today and creating a more accessible tomorrow. Listen to Technically Speaking, an Intel podcast on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Are you still searching for your perfect place to call home? Well, now is the time to buy at Fisher Homes. If you're looking to move in before the end of 2024, May could be your last opportunity to start building your dream home and close before the year's end. If you're hoping to move in even sooner, Fisher Homes also has homes that are move-in ready and waiting for you, where you can start enjoying the benefits of homeownership even faster. Schedule your personal tour with a new home advisor today at fisherhomes.com and make this spring the season you find your perfect home sweet home. Brought to you by the reinvented 2012 Camry. It's ready. Are you? Get in touch with technology with Tech Stuff from HowStuffWorks.com. Hello again, everyone. Welcome to Tech Stuff. My name is Chris Paulette, and I am an editor here at HowStuffWorks.com. As usual, sitting across from me is the lovely, smiling face of senior writer Jonathan Strickland. Aw, do go on. Now I think I should stop. Uh, nice. <laughs> Hammer time. All right, this uh, this episode is brought to us courtesy of a little listener mail. This listener mail comes from Nate. He says, hi, I'm a teenage listener from Colorado and just received my learner's permit. I'm often frustrated by stoplights that are too long or short for the intersection. That got me wondering about how these things actually work. So I'm hoping that you can do a podcast on how stoplights work. Thanks from your best listener in Colorado, Nate. All right, Nate, we're going to talk about some uh, some traffic lights. Yes, and uh, do, you, do you like traffic lights? I like traffic lights. But only when they're green? <laughs> well, apparently Nate does. All right, so... um. Well, let's, you know, we all know what traffic lights are. 
I don't yes. think we need to do the breakdown that we usually do. Yes, uh, it, it's it's funny because when this email came in, I started thinking, um, you know, how uh, very simple this idea is. You know, you've got a box and it's got some lights in it and they have a red light, a yellow light and a green light, at least here in America. And yep. they switch from one another. Like, and, well, that's pretty simple. Then I thought, well, you know, there really is a lot more to it than that because it's not just the lights. It's also the controller and the whole system that goes behind it. Yeah, especially when you look at it from a macro level, like a city, a city size level. Yeah. Then it becomes unbelievably complex because you're not just talking about one intersection. You're talking about traffic patterns that go across an entire city. Well, yeah, and you can use uh, if you've got the system that can handle it, you can use, uh, you know, a, a whole computer network of traffic lights to, uh, to arrange the way traffic would flow. That is assuming everybody is obeying the law. Right. Well, and, and that's important to remember because, you know, in the old days, making adjustments to traffic lights was pretty difficult. I mean, or at least it was more involved than what it is today. Today, you know, there are fully automated systems where you can, Walk into a a uh, room and see the the readouts and kind of get a real life, real time picture of what's going on. And if traffic is really bad in one part of town for one reason or another, you can actually make adjustments on the fly in many systems mm-hmm. and and alleviate some of that traffic snarl. Mm-hmm. And and that's snarl. and it's crazy the sort of things that can cause uh, traffic jams. I, I've written about um, how traffic works. Yes, uh, for the site. It's an interesting and, article. I yeah, have to recommend it. It's. And it's really things that you would never expect to cause traffic jams can in fact cause them. And sometimes it's just poorly timed intersections. Mm-hmm. You know, you could have two intersections that are even a mile and a half apart, but because of the way they're timed, uh, traffic starts to back up. So we're going to talk a little bit about what goes into making these lights work. Uh, I wanted to, to step back a little bit and talk about the, the older systems because some, sure. some towns in, in the United States still use these. Before the solid state electronics controllers for traffic lights, uh, became really the thing, we had mechanical controllers. Mm-hmm. Now the lights themselves are electrical. And they're also modular in most cases so that you can, uh, build a larger set of lights, uh, using the same basic units. So that lets you do things like create the, you know, the turn signal lights versus the straight up and down, you know, red, yellow, green lights that we, we know and love. Mm-hmm. Um, now, the old lights were uh, halogen lamp lights, uh, but usually between 50 watts and, and 150 watts, depending on the size of the light. Um, I, would have, I would have thought that they would be incandescent. Did you? I would have. You would have. Yes. Apparently, um, I would be wrong. Well, the, the current ones are LEDs. Yes. They're yes. much more efficient. And you can tell those apart, too, because it looks like they're uh, a batch of little tiny lights in the circle where an older one of the older lights would be with the giant lens. Right, right. So these uh, older... I love those. I just thought it was very cool that they're doing that because yeah. they're so much more energy efficient. No, uh, Yes, they're energy efficient, and you don't have to replace them nearly as often. Uh, the old ones you would actually have to replace almost on a monthly basis, which, of course, could cause even more problems with traffic because it means that someone has, has, to, go has to go out there. Yeah. And yeah, So these older mechanical controllers, they actually, if you were to open up one of these boxes, uh, here's where we have our, our standard do not open a traffic control box. Yes. It's a bad idea. But and if, probably against the law. If you're but, not authorized to do exactly. so. Exactly. Oh, well, if you're authorized to do it, then yes, by all please. means. Please. Please, yes. But inside these mechanical controllers, you would find a series of switches 
uh, and at the base of each switch would be a little wheel. Now, the wheel would have uh, uh, 12 sections. Think of it like pie. Mm, pie. So it's got essentially uh, 12, 12 areas sliced, and one slice has been removed. Mm-hmm. When that slice comes round toward the switch, the switch is actually able to move out, and the, the switch op- uh, completes a circuit. Right. All right. So there's a circuit for every single light at the intersection for the red light, for the yellow light, green light, for each of the directions that are involved. Got it. Okay. So assuming this is a four way stop. Yes. So four way stop, you know, you've got a, you've got a switch for every single light. Uh, so these, these, the series of wheels, uh, are on a, a rod and they turn, um, in time with a, a solenoid. Mm hmm. The solenoid activates, it turns the, the wheels, and then that's what actually completes the circuits and make the different lights switch from uh, red to green to yellow. Makes sense. Um, the solenoid's on a ratchet, so it can move down, but it can't move back up. Uh-huh. Right? So it, it's not, it doesn't so it just... it can't go from, say, yellow to green. Right. It has to go from green to yellow exactly. to red. And you also don't have to worry about it switching from green to red and then back to green immediately. Because that would happen if, if, there, if it didn't have the ratchet, if it didn't have that brake stop there, um, a light could change and then change right back. And then you've got traffic accidents all over the place. Yes. Uh, so We got enough of those with it working properly. Right. So the solenoid is connected to a motorized timer. And the timer is this uh, little round drum. It's got a 100 grooves carved into the side of this drum, uh-huh. right? Within those grooves, you can place these little metal tabs, and the metal tabs also hit a little switch. When the tabs hit the switch, that's what activates the solenoid. Okay, so the drum is attached to a gear. The gear turns at a certain frequency, certain number of revolutions per minute. Mm-hmm. That's what dictates how fast the drum turns. That's what dictates how how often the solenoid is activated, which in turn dictates how the little wheels connected to the circuits turn. Got it. That is the timing mechanism on the old uh, traffic lights. And if you were actually standing next to a controller box and you were listening, you could probably hear the clicks as those wheels turn into place. Mm-hmm. Um, and... Uh, you could even install multiple drums within a single control box so you could have it switch at different times of the day. So let's say during rush hour traffic, you need one section of the road to be green more often than not. Mm-hmm. Uh, but then in the middle of the day, the traffic patterns change. So you would want the light behavior to change as well. And then maybe overnight it changes again. Um, you could actually do that by having multiple gears in there and have it switch automatically from one to the other based upon the time of day. Mm-hmm. Today, all of that is kind of, it's, it's antiquated. I mean, you, you don't find that in most systems today because now we have solid state electronics. Everything's on circuit boards. We don't have to worry about all those, uh, those actual mechanical switches. Right, right. But some of them are still on timers. Yeah, that's true. That's true. You know, when you describe, uh, things that run on gears like that, yep. and I'm trying to picture exactly how this hardware goes together, I can't help singing powerhouse in my head. Yeah. When I imagine the gears turning. Right. Uh, da, 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 da. Okay. So, yeah. <laughs> and, and Marshall actually wrote a, a blog post about this where he links to a video where you can see, if you want to go to, to the blogs at How Stuff Works and, uh, search, uh, Marshall Brain's blog posts, you can find a, a post that links back to a video that shows these elements, these yeah. mechanical elements. Yep, yep. 
I remember that one actually. I saw that as I was uh, doing some some research. Mm-hmm. Um, now, of course, uh, you know there are timers and there are the uh, the lights that work on a sensor system as well. Right. Um, and the timers seem like they're fairly self explanatory. Yeah, it's it's, it's the a same solid sort state of, timer. Yeah, instead the, of a mechanical. Version. Same same philosophy mm-hmm. as the mechanical ones, but yeah, different different uh, methodology, but same effect in that. Um, what happens is you've got some civil engineers who who observe the traffic patterns, uh, who come up with the the pattern that should be used for any particular intersection, the amount of time that each uh, lane of traffic should have to be able to pass through that intersection. Mm-hmm. And um, you know normally they will visit an intersection multiple times throughout different days to really get a good idea of what the traffic patterns are. Cause like I said, they change throughout the day, right? Right. Right. So in the evening, it may be that, you know, one particular road is hardly used at all. While another one is, is really heavily used. You would want, of course, the traffic light to favor the heavily used one. Yes. Um, and again, this is, it sounds kind of simple, except that when you take into account that you need to also look at the intersections that are, essentially directly adjacent to that first intersection, like go in, in every direction of that intersection to the next light mm-hmm. and see what that timing is. Cause that's going to affect the traffic as well. Well, that's then true. you have to go one further out from those. Right. And before long, you're looking at a, a huge net that incorporates the entire area, mm-hmm. which mm-hmm. is why it gets so complicated. Um, but not all of them are timers. Mm-hmm. Some of them use sensors, and these are the ones that I find fascinating. You can you can tell whether or not they have a sensor generally by looking at the uh, not up where the traffic lights are, but down on the road. Yeah, um, there are different kinds of sensors. There are some intersections they'll use uh, uh, light based sensors like lasers or whatever. Oh, that's true. That's true. But but most, in fact, I would I would go so far as to say the majority of all sensor. Sensors used in traffic lights are uh, inductive loop sensors. Yes, those are the ones that you see uh, the little grooves in the pavement uh, directly underneath, like the uh, the white stripe where you're supposed to stop your car. Yeah, generally, or or immediately before, in some cases, immediately after, which I think is kind of dangerous if that's the sensor that you're supposed to be on to trigger the light. Uh, but that has to do with the civil engineers, or perhaps they were painted by uncivil engineers. It could be. It um, could be. But, uh, Which makes me wonder, why is the Civil War even called that? Because they were not civil They at were not all. at all civil. Um, <laughs> so the uh, sensors that are implanted underneath the roadway act very much like an electromagnet. Yeah, that's essentially what they are. They, mm-hmm. uh, you've got a coil of wire that is underneath the, the pavement mm-hmm. and, um, and, what it's it, it's generating a magnetic field, and when something really large and metal passes over it, uh, it acts as an inductor. Mm-hmm. And uh, when the system uh, can uh, detect that that increase in the magnetic field, because once you have the inductor there, that really boosts the magnetic field. Once the system detects that, it's the indicator to say, "Hey, there's a car waiting at this intersection." So at the earliest opportunity, we should look at. Uh, switching the light so that the the car can move. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Um, there's some problems with this system, though. Yes. the The biggest problem being that if you are not in a a fairly you know like a a medium to to larger sized vehicle, you may not have enough of uh, metal in in the mass of whatever vehicle you're in to to activate the inductor loop. So what you're saying is, if you are in 
uh, or, or riding, say, a motor scooter? Motor scooter, bicycle, motorcycle, even even a small car, like a smart car. Mm-hmm. Smart cars are tiny and may not even be enough of a of a, a mass in order to get the inductor loop to activate. It may not be generate enough of a magnetic field for the sensor to be tripped, which means you're sitting at a traffic light forever waiting yes. for that thing to, to change. And it may take until another car or other vehicle pulls up behind you and perhaps if they're close enough – Complete that that inductor loop so that you can actually uh, trigger that light. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Um, and uh, another of of Marshall's brain's posts that uh, that I saw when I was looking at um, looking at some information for this podcast. Um, some cities do have uh, special infrared controllers too for uh, emergency vehicles like fire engines and police cars. Um, that will allow them to uh, trip the signals before they get there. It's it's essentially a, a remote control of sorts right. that allow them to uh, to affect the signals, and that that keeps them from having to. Uh, of course, they're going to go through the light anyway if they feel like it's safe. But um, if they can uh, go ahead and change the traffic lights rather than having to go through the intersection without uh, affecting those at all, that that helps them control the flow of, of traffic too, to some extent. I, I have a hint for people who do drive motorcycles, scooters, bicycles, that kind of thing. Oh, yeah. If they want to activate those uh, loops. Now, this is not the same thing that Chris was just talking about. Chris was talking about actually changing the light signal yes. in an official way. This You're one, talking about uh, activating the, uh, the, the inductor. Loop. Yeah, to let, to let, essentially to let the system know, hey, I'm here and I would very much like it if I could get across the street, please. Um, what you can do is you can install a couple of magnets on the bottom of your vehicle. Uh, and it, by install, I just mean stick. Because <laughs> that's the wonderful thing about magnets. They stick to metal. Uh, Some metal. So, yes. Well, the metal that you typically find in vehicles, yes. Uh, so you get a couple of powerful magnets and you uh, attach them to the base of the vehicle. And then when you when you drive over the loop, the magnets in there, they usually generate a, a strong enough magnetic field that that will be enough to trip the sensor and let it know, hey, there's a vehicle here. So even if you're just riding in a little scooter that normally wouldn't activate it, you'll get a signal. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Now, these systems are connected, as we said earlier, to a master control system. Right. And the master control system's job is to maintain uh, an eye on everything that's going on across the the whole uh, well, whatever the area is that it that they oversee, right? Like whether it's a local like thing or a citywide thing, um, but it usually it monitors traffic twenty four hours a day. Often these systems can be uh, manipulated remotely, so that let's say that that the the operator knows there's a fire uh, a fire alarm that has gone off in a building downtown, and they know where the the fire engine is going to come from. They can actually proactively uh, uh, set up the system so that it stops traffic so that the fire engine can get through without right. any dangers of a, or reducing danger of collision. Right. I can't ever say without any, because there's always going to be some, something that falls outside the extremes, right? Sure. Um, and they can also just keep a, an eye on how signals are behaving. And if they, if a, there's a signal outage or anything like that, they can arrange for an electrician or, or, you know, repair unit to go out there and take a look at it. Um, and they have to consider a lot of things when they're putting, like, as we said, when they're putting these traffic lights in, it's everything from uh, the spacing uh, between the traffic signals mm-hmm. along a street. Um, they have to look at the different 
timing uh, aspects of each of those. Uh, they have to look at just the traffic volume. How many lanes of traffic are there? Uh, is it going to to handle the traffic volume well enough so that you don't have to worry about fiddling with the timer so much? Right. Um, even the driver behavior on that street. Yes. Because, of course, Chris and I know from living in Atlanta, there are different parts of Atlanta where people drive in incredibly different ways. Yeah. Let's say like 285, if you're not going 80 miles per hour, you've just been run over. <laughs> now, granted, 285 also does not have any traffic lights on it. True. But, um, yeah, there's surface streets. Like there's certain areas of Atlanta where, you know, people drive nice and leisurely and, and everyone's kind of, you know, laid back and relaxed. And there are other parts of Atlanta where you feel that, you know, you've just entered the road warrior and two men will enter and one man will leave and, you know, Mel Gibson's right behind you and bearing down and, Okay, I've had some really, really weird dreams lately is all I'm trying to say. I understand what you're saying. All right. So, yeah, the driver behavior actually does play a part in how traffic managers look at at setting out traffic lights and and timing them out properly. Um, And and it seems to me that that, um, if you've got lasers or inductive loops or, uh, you know, even those rubber, air-filled rubber hoses, I guess they're pneumatic hoses of some kind that uh, tell the box that there are cars waiting – it seems like including those would sort of wreck the plan of trying to manage traffic. I mean, other than, I mean, by by a master control uh, program. Hmm. Wait a minute. Now I'm beginning to understand everything. End of line. <laughs> um, but no, yeah, having a master computerized program uh, seems like it wouldn't work. It wouldn't be compatible with having sensors at individual intersections that allowed cars to trip the lights as soon as they arrived and were sitting there at the stoplight. It's usually, it seems like it would be more, it's more sort of a, a if you will, laissez-faire version of traffic. I think, say, I think well, part you know, of it the cars is are that, there, they'll make the lights work. I think part of it, I think part of it is that when it detects that there's a car there, um, it doesn't necessarily say, okay, well, we need to change the lights now. It's that it's saying, okay, we need to change the lights at some point yes. when it's safe to do so. Keep in mind that if there's steady traffic going over an intersection, that in, that inductor loop actually it's picking it up. Yes, you're, of course. You're still having cars going through. So these systems are are fairly intelligence, probably the wrong word to use, but they're they're able to detect traffic at uh if it if everything's working properly, they're able to detect traffic at a, a fairly reliable rate. So it's still. It's not as uh, planned out as maybe the timed ones are in mm-hmm. the sense of it doesn't take as much human intervention, but there's still, you know, it's kind of, it is kind of adjusting traffic on the fly. Well, yes, I should point out that I, I realized that as soon as you pull up, it wouldn't necessarily trigger the uh, the sensor and, and automatically turn the light because uh, if the box can tell that there are, uh, there's a steady flow of traffic going over the inductors in the other lanes, uh, perpendicular to the ones that you're in, um, obviously it's not going to go, oh, well, hey, you know, I'm just going to yeah. go ahead and stop them. This one guy really needs to go, so we're going to stop everybody else. I, I sort of always figured that it was uh, a situation where they go, okay, well, it's been 10 seconds since the last car. It's been 15 seconds since the last car. Traffic is slowing down. There's less of it there. Yeah. It's safe to go ahead and give them a yellow light to prepare them for a red light. And some of them work on a, on a combination of the timer and the sensor. Mm-hmm. So some of them have, like, even in some cases, you'll, you'll come up to 
traffic lights that you know have the sensors in them, and yet the traffic lights occasionally change on their own. Mm-hmm. It's because that they do ultimately rely on a timer system. Yeah. Um, and the neat thing about those timer systems, you can actually program them so that they behave differently on different days of the year. Mm-hmm. So if you know, for example, that say on 4th of July that a particular stretch of road is going to be really heavily used – you can program the the system ahead of time to compensate for that. Yeah. Uh, before you know, like you know, back in June, you could you could program it in, and then Fourth of July comes around, and the system behaves just as you told it to, assuming yeah. that everything's working properly. All right. Um, cool. Well, uh, I'm I'm trafficked out. <laughs> well, I, I think it's a it's one of those things that we sort of take take for granted, but the uh, the uh, systems that they've put in to make this work. Um, and, and try to be sort of intelligent about the way you manage traffic flow. I mean, it's obvious anytime there's been a bad storm and the, and the lights are out, how much work actually goes into planning out the traffic patterns of, of a city and, uh, the effect that having those sensors, uh, tripping the lights and, and letting the boxes, the controller boxes know what's going on at an intersection. It's, it's obvious how much difference that makes having that technology available to us. Particularly in Atlanta, where people seem to forget that if the traffic light is out, you treat it as a four-way stop. Yes, or when they're flashing yellow on one side and you're supposed to proceed with caution versus flashing red, which means you are supposed to come to a complete stop. Right. And everybody stops regardless. Or if it's flashing yellow, people don't slow down at all. They're just like, that means go. That yeah. means actually go really fast. Yeah. If you're if you're a star man. Well, yeah. Okay. I got nothing for that. If you got that reference, write in at techstuff at howstuffworks.com. Or if you have any other questions for that matter. But um, speaking of other questions, I actually yes. have another listener mail. This listener mail comes from Trevor, and Trevor says, Hey, Chris and Jonathan, I just finished listening to your podcast about cyborgs and cybernetics, and it made me think about a recent book I've read. Revelation Space by Alistair Reynolds is an excellent example of advanced cybernetics, uh, pertinent throughout the book. Just thought I would write in and give you that book. Keep up the good work, Trevor. P.S. I know you constantly talk about virtual environments, but how come I've never heard anything from you about Second Life? I'm an avid member, and I'm curious why you avoid it. Well, Trevor, it's not that we're, we're actively avoiding Second Life, at least not more than anyone else is. Um, Second Life uh, is a, a virtual environment. It's kind of – think of it like a, a massively multiplayer online role-playing game without the game. Yes. I mean, you can create games within Second Life, but there's no game element directly involved. There's no object of winning. There's nothing like that. It's not – you know, but you do create an avatar and you can – uh, wander around a virtual world and own virtual property mm-hmm. and interact with other people who are also in this world. Um, when it first premiered, it actually made a big splash. You remember that? Like all the companies that were getting into it? Yes, there were a lot of companies uh, getting into it. There were a lot of other organizations trying to uh, trying to find ways that they could offer their services were, in the space. Uh, you know, I, I know for a fact that some libraries were opening virtual mm-hmm. reference desks. In Second Life so that they could, you know, have people come in and ask them questions. There were bands that would have virtual concerts in Second Life. I I remember Um, that. Yeah, you would find things like, I think a lot of news agencies built, uh, like news desks in Second Life where you could, you could wander into this virtual environment and kind of see what was going on in the real world. Uh, it, it was an idea of like places where people could have virtual meetings where you could have maybe a, a a conference online Mm -hmm. and have people show up 
uh, in Second Life to attend the conference and you wouldn't have to leave your home, right? Right. A lot of interesting ideas. It just never really took off to the, it, it never lived up to the potential it had. Um, people still use it, but yeah, it's lots and lots and lots of people still use it. Right. But nowhere near the number of people that everyone thought was going to use it. Like yeah. a lot of the companies that went in and spent money developing this stuff have since long since abandoned those, those uh, stations within Second Life just because they weren't, you know, it, it didn't make sense to keep supporting something that was getting so little traffic. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So that's really the reason why we don't talk about Second Life. It's not that uh, we have anything personally against it. In nope. fact, I've written an article about how Second Life works. But it's just that it really didn't – it doesn't have the impact that uh, uh, that it potentially could have. Yes. And so it just – we just don't end up talking about it. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. But if you have uh, any other questions, like I said, text stuff at HowStuffWorks.com. And remember – we have an official Tech Stuff Twitter feed now. Yep, Tech Stuff HSW. Yep, it's all together. So just go to Twitter and look up uh, Tech Stuff HSW. You'll be able to see our latest tweets, and you can join our Facebook fan page. Yep, yep. And again, Tech Stuff HSW. Uh, you can find us there under that handle, um, and uh, interact with us a little bit. You know, when we uh, we publish some. Uh, some articles and things, you can uh, give us some feedback there as well. Right. Yeah. And we really do like the uh, audience interaction. It's it's becoming increasingly more important to us. So please, if you have different ideas, you want to suggest something for the podcast, uh, you think that maybe, for example, we're talking about the possibility. Now, this is a possibility of looking at, uh, at some point, interviewing other people uh, on the podcast every now and then. If you have ideas of who we should talk to, give us a shout. Let us know. Remember, we're pretty low on the grand scheme of things. So if you're saying Steve Jobs, keep dreaming. I want to interview Benjamin Franklin. Do you? Yeah. Uh, I mean, I you know, he had a lot to do with tech. I was thinking Ada Lovelace. Oh, yeah, she'd be another good person to interview. Yeah, yeah. All right, well, that wraps this discussion up. Hope you enjoyed it. And Chris and I will talk to you again really soon. If you're a Tech Stuff fan, be sure to check us out on Twitter. Tech Stuff HSW is our handle, and you can also find us on Facebook at facebook.com slash techstuffhsw. For more on this and thousands of other topics, visit HowStuffWorks.com. And be sure to check out the new Tech Stuff blog, now on the HowStuffWorks homepage. Brought to you by the reinvented 2012 Camry. It's ready. Are you? Running a business is no cakewalk, but with SAP Concur Solutions, you can be ready for anything. You can manage travel, expenses, and AP all on one platform that's packed with AI and best practices, and that delivers it all through an easy, clear, I can't believe how simple that is experience. So while not much can be done about that guy who never fails to burn the microwave popcorn and stink up the entire office, with SAP Concur, you can easily handle almost anything else. Take control of your business finances today at concur.com. That's C-O-N-C-U-R dot com. 
Are you still searching for your perfect place to call home? Well, now is the time to buy at Fisher Homes. If you're looking to move in before the end of 2024, May could be your last opportunity to start building your dream home and close before the year's end. If you're hoping to move in even sooner, Fisher Homes also has homes that are move-in ready and waiting for you, where you can start enjoying the benefits of homeownership even faster. Schedule your personal tour with a new home advisor today at fisherhomes.com and make this spring the season you find your perfect home sweet home. I'm Katia Adler, host of The Global Story. Over the last 25 years, I've covered conflicts in the Middle East, political and economic crises in Europe, drug cartels in Mexico. Now I'm covering the stories behind the news all over the world in conversation with those who break it. Join me Monday to Friday to find out what's happening, why, and what it all means. Follow The Global Story from the BBC wherever you listen to podcasts. We are the voice of NASCAR. The green flag is in the air and we are underway. The great American race. The Motor Racing Network. NASCAR Cup, Xfinity and Craftsman Truck Series Racing. Live on your hometown radio station and MRN or NASCAR.com. Martinsville, Talladega, the Chicago Street Course. We have the side-by-side action and last lap passes for the win. Photo finishes. Ryan Blaney will win. The voice of NASCAR, the Motor Racing Network work.